So if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians 15, let me set the stage a little bit again, because uh, we weren't together last week, and uh, so it's been two weeks. Let me uh, reintroduce 1 Corinthians 15 in the context of 1 Corinthians. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, people throughout history have thought 1 Corinthians 15 um, was, was rather unusually appended um, to the end of 1 Corinthians because it's the, longest, it's the longest detailed conversation that Paul ever has of one particular topic uh, in any of his writings, and it happens to be concerning the topic of resurrection of the body. And when you get to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and he starts talking about resurrection of the body, it looks like um, he's leaving a very, a very um, practical letter with ethics and practical Christian living advice. He's talked about so many things in 1 Corinthians, everything from incest to proper um, orderly worship, uh, to um, whether you can eat meat offered to idols, um, to sexual immorality. He's talked about a lot of topics uh, that he's answering questions from the church at Corinth, that Greco-Roman uh, church in Corinth. And then all of a sudden, he starts talking about the resurrection of the body. Uh, I think it's only been in recent years that some, some of us have figured out that maybe what he's doing is he's saying here in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, as he talks about resurrection of the body, it fits perfectly with the rest of the letter because what he's saying to the church at Corinth, because again, they're not Jewish by background. He wouldn't need to say this to people who are Jewish by background, but they're Greco-Roman by background. They're Gentiles. So he, he's, he's given them the theology for what he's really been talking about throughout the letter, and it's this. What we do in our bodies, what we do with our bodies matters. We're just not so focused on spirit that um, we can do whatever we want to in the physical realm and it not make a difference. You know, again, think about what he said about sexual immorality. Think about what he said about incest. Uh, he even talked about uh, Christians taking each other to court, to secular courts. So he's talking about all this stuff, but everything he's talked about thus far is obviously stuff we have to do while we're in our bodies. So uh, I think it's a pretty smart move on his part that he moves out all this practical Christian living stuff and, and flows into this topic about resurrection of the body. Because as um, Christians who come out of the Jewish faith, uh, we believe that creation is good, creation is sacred, matter matters. We're not just about spirit, what we do with our bodies, what we do with creation, what we do with bread, what we do with wine, what we do with oil, what we do with water, what we do with stained glass windows. We are a very materialistic religion in a lot of ways. You know, we're not like Hinduism, we're not like Buddhism, and we're not like Plato in the Greek world where it's all about spirit and, you know, we're just sort of encumbered with the flesh at this point. Um, in Judaism, uh, we're a unit. Body and soul is one. Jews don't even typically divide body and soul up. That's something we get in the New Testament period because of the Greek influence. Um, 
Human beings are human beings. We're made up of body and soul. Both are sacred. That's why historically in the life of the church, we've always treated bodies with great, great respect, whether it's creating doctors and hospitals or whether it's the way we care for the dead. We've always created bodies with great deal of respect in the Jewish Christian tradition. Um, And again, the Greek world did not so much. And that's why Paul has to tell them about this resurrection of the body. They believed, the Greek world, uh, just like the Hindu world and the Buddhist world, they all believe in the immortality of the soul. They believe that we continue spiritually forever. Um, I find a lot of Christians that they believe that too, and that's great. But they stop short. That's as far as they go. Uh, They don't have an eternity that includes a bodily, physical, fleshly presence. Uh, we, when we Christians say every time we recite a creed that we believe in the resurrection of the body, that's not just an analogy or a metaphor for saying that we believe that we will spiritually last forever. Now, we believe in the immortality of the spirit. When we die, our spirit goes to rest with God That's not the end of the journey, though. Uh, When we die, we're immediately in the presence of God. If we belong to Christ, our spirit goes to reside with God um, in in bliss, in joy, in a heavenly realm. But that's not the final destination. Uh, We Christians have always called heaven, until the recent century, we Christians have always called heaven the intermediate state. It's not your final destination. It's your, your, your spirit will go to rest there until the end of history. And at the end of history, uh, there comes the resurrection of the body. There comes the full renewal of creation. There comes the rejuvenation of creation. Uh, that's when uh, planet Earth will be rejuvenated. Go read Romans 8. Uh, this earth that is groaning for redemption now will be redeemed one day. Uh, Eden will return, uh, but it will be an Eden on steroids. Uh, Your body will last forever, but it will be a body on steroids. A better way theologically to say that is think about the resurrection body of Jesus. The resurrection body of Jesus was remarkably the same. Remember, after he died, went to the place of the dead. On the third day, he was raised. You have 40 days with Jesus, right, in the New Testament. Um, He ate breakfast. He went to places. um, And I think he ate breakfast on purpose because there's a couple instances where people would say, ooh, it's a ghost. And the Christians discovered in those 40 days of post-resurrection appearances, he wasn't a ghost. He wasn't the same physical body he was before. But he, had, he, he ate breakfast. He bore the scars of his crucifixion. But he could, go, he could show up in rooms that had locked doors, and he didn't have to open the doors. You see that twice in the New Testament, right? Nod your heads, yes. You see that twice in the New Testament. So uh, the body of Jesus after resurrection is, is a rejuvenated resurrection body. And that's what Paul's going to be talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul coins a phrase that to the Greeks would have been a complete oxymoron. Um, makes no sense. But to Paul, it made perfect sense. 
as a Christian coming out of the Jewish tradition, it makes perfect sense. And it's this phrase that you're going to run into frequently in 1 Corinthians 15. He's going to talk about a spiritual body. So a Greek would have been fine with a spirit after death. If they, the body threw them off, though, I mean, how do you... They thought, they thought, and I run across Christians do this, they thought that when they died, they were through with their body, and they'd never see it again. Had nothing to do with eternity. Um, if, that's why we Christians have always taken great care and reverence for the dead. Whether it's burial or cremation, we can talk about cremation at some point, but whether it's burial or cremation, we do it with great reverence, we, we know that what we're in, in earning or interring, we know that it's sacred. That body's not just some piece of trash that you've been waiting to get rid of for all these years. Um, we've always treated the physical world, whether it's your hurting body, and we tell you to go to a doctor. Remember, Luke was a doctor. It's because we think that body's sacred. You know, the goal is not to just get free of the body. We care for the body, and we believe that the body uh, has a role in eternity. Just like, um, you know, there's, we believe in not just the redemption of your spirit. That would be wonderful. Jesus' work is much broader than that. That's why we believe in the redemption of all creation in Jesus Christ. That's why Romans 8, the earth will be redeemed. And that's why you see all that language... Um, and this should mean a lot, usually means a lot to pet owners. You see all of that language in the book of Isaiah. There's two, two specific places in the book of Isaiah where it talks about the lion will lay down with the lamb in the kingdom. God loves his creation. God is creator and God loves his creation. He didn't create creation, whether it's your body or this earth, just for the garbage heap. Now, the Greeks did not get that. Buddhists don't understand that. Hindus don't understand that. But in the Christian-slash-Jewish world, matter matters. And um, that's why you got the longest extended discussion on any one topic from Paul here at the end of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, and it's on the resurrection of the body. So, with that being said, remember verses 1 through 11 is just a intro to the whole topic. Verses 1 through 11 is where Paul is just reminding you, reminding us, reminding the Corinthians of the basis of the gospel. Uh, and by the way, that's where he also said Jesus was raised from the dead, and he appeared to 500 people at one time. Most of them are still alive, so Paul is daring them to go talk to these people. Ask them what kind of body Jesus had after the resurrection after he came back from the dead, after he had been to the place of the dead, as the creed says, and comes back from the dead. So in verses 1 through 11, it's just a general introduction to basic Christian theology, the gospel, and Paul's sticking in there that even though he wasn't around to see uh, Jesus during those 40 days, like the other apostles, he still met the living Jesus. He met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. So we're only going to look at verses 12 through 19 because what Paul's doing here in verses 12 through 19 is he's just, he's going after the Greeks who just can't accept the concept of resurrection. Beginning at verse 20 and from verse 20 through the end of this long chapter, which is a chapter of 58 verses, uh, from verse 20 through chapter 58, through verse 58, he, there's where he's talking about the resurrection of the body. 
what the spiritual body will be. Uh, but here he's just, you, he, you know, he was trained as a rhetorician. Uh, he, he was, God knew exactly what he was doing when he went after Paul, and he got somebody who was raised Jewish, trained as a Jewish Pharisee, but he was born in Tarsus, right? He was born in what we would call present-day Turkey. So he was born in the Greco-Roman world, but he was a Jew of the diaspora living in the Greco-Roman world. So Paul had a foot in both worlds. He had a foot in, in Jerusalem and Judaism, and he had a foot in the Gentile world. So, so God knew exactly what he was doing when he called Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He was Jewish, but he had lived among the Gentiles where he was born there in Tarsus. So he was trained. Tarsus, what, Tarsus the city of Tarsus, from which Paul came, was a university town like Chapel Hill, um, almost like High Point. It was a university town. So um, Paul would have known the, the prevailing currents and winds of Greek philosophy. He would have been trained. He, he was well-educated. Uh, he would have been trained in rhetoric. And you're going to see him using rhetoric. You can go read Aristotle's book on rhetoric. You're gonna, you can see him using rhetoric here in these opening verses. So he's just trying to make the people see that what he's going to teach, beginning at verse 20, what he's going to teach is logical is logical, is reasonable, is rational. You know, if you ever get to go, and I'm, I'm sure I've said this before, if you ever get to go to Athens, which I heavily recommend, I hope you get back there one of these days. I love traveling to Greece, following the footsteps of Paul. But if you go to Athens, the, the major historical museum in Athens, and they know how to do a historical museum in a place like Athens. I mean, they, they got some history in Greece. But if you walk in that building across the top of that large building, from the outside you see this, I don't know, some mural mosaics, probably a mural. You see all these paintings of great Greek philosophers. And I don't know if this was intended. I'm going to pretend like it was intended. The last one on the right is guess who? Paul, the Apostle Paul. He was a great Greek thinker, but he was very Jewish too. That's why he could talk about spiritual bodies. And that's not an oxymoron for Paul. You can have bodies of flesh that are spiritual. Anyway, so he's just going to start using some rhetoric to make sure that these people understand. He, he's, he, 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 he can argue well. Paul can argue well. You know that. Look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, because he just said that's core Christianity. Jesus was raised from the dead where the Easter people, we moved our worship day from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week because every Sunday is a little Easter for us. Every Sunday we remember resurrection. So he, he said that in verses 1 through 11, that the resurrection of Jesus is central to our faith. And he, he knows these, these new Christians in Corinth accept that much. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, that there is no resurrection of the dead. Now, again, and this is a little bit of review, Jews believed by Paul's day, by Jesus' day, a lot of Jews, the Pharisees, believed in the resurrection of the body. They believed at the end of history, bodies will be raised from the dead. Remember what Martha said to Jesus when uh, Martha um, was upset that Jesus didn't get to uh, Lazarus before he died. And um, Jesus says, chill out, Martha, it's okay. He will be raised. And you remember what Martha says? Well, I know he'll be raised at the end of history. And then Jesus says what? I am the resurrection 
Um, so uh, Jews believe in the resurrection of the body at the end of history. Every time you go to Israel with me, we look at the Mount of Olives. Um, that's where, in the Jewish tradition, that's where the resurrection of the body will start. You, if you're a Jew, you can be buried today on the Mount of Olives. It is not cheap, particularly to send your remains from here to there. But if you're a devout Jew, and you may want to be buried on the, on the Mount of Olives. Judaism believes in the resurrection of the body. Gentile world, Greco-Roman world, believes in the immortality of the soul. The spirit lives on forever in another realm. Well, what do we Christians believe? Yes, to both the above. And that's the argument Paul's making. So he says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, which you're all saying, how can you say there's no resurrection of the dead at the end of history? Is what Paul's implying. Verse 13, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then, then not even Christ has been raised. Either dead people get up and walk or they don't is what Paul's saying. If Jesus got up and walked, then you can't say that dead people don't get up and walk. If you say that dead people don't get up and walk, then that, that not only leaves us out, it leaves Jesus out. So that's, that's the rhetoric Paul's using here. That's the logic Paul's using. You can't just... It's like being a little bit pregnant. You can't be a little bit pregnant. Either bodies are resurrected or they're not, is what Paul's saying. You can't let that happen to Jesus and nobody else. If you rule out resurrection of the body, then you've got to rule out resurrection of the body. But uh, these Christians have accepted Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus died three days later. He got up walked around. He walked around for 40 days living with his apostles before the ascension. So he, he's just using his rhetoric here and trying to help these uh, Corinthians be logical. Verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain. That Greek word there, by the way, can be translated as useless. It can be translated as empty. So if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, our proclamation of the gospel is empty, useless, in vain. And your faith is empty, useless, and in, and, and in vain. So, yeah, the, the resurrection of Christ is central to our faith. Again, that's why we moved our worship day from the seventh day of the week, the Jewish Sabbath, to the first day of the week because something real significant happened for us and the world and the universe on the first day of the week. Uh, and that's the resurrection of Jesus. He was raised on Sunday, not the Jewish Sabbath. Uh, he, he, was at, he was in the realm of the dead on the Jewish Sabbath. If you show up and do our Easter vigil, which is Saturday night, between after Good Friday and before Sunday, that gives me, us, uh, an opportunity to look at, you know, where, what, where was Jesus at? between the time he was buried and the time he was raised from the dead. Well, the, the, the church has always said he, he, he descended to the place of the dead. He really was dead. He was not uh, pseudo-dead or quasi-dead. He really was dead. But then he came back from the dead. But it, So we know that the resurrection of Christ is central to our faith. Um, without the resurrection of Christ, the death of Christ would just be a martyr's death. could be wonderful, but would have accomplished nothing more universally and cosmically than the death of Socrates, who died a martyr, or the death of Martin Luther King, who died a martyr. You know, I really have great admiration for martyrs, but Jesus was not just a martyr because he did die, but then here comes this resurrection thing. So look at verse 15. Uh, we are even found to be misrepresenting God, 
If we say there's no resurrection, if we, if we say Jesus was not raised from the dead, we are misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Again, that's Paul's argument. Either the dead get up and walk or they don't. You can't be a little bit pregnant. You can have a little bit of resurrection of the dead. You, can have, you cannot have the resurrection of one dead person and not have an impact on the rest of us if we have a reality where, where dead people are resurrected, then we have a reality where dead people are resurrected. This is the, and again, remember this Greek world. They love to argue in the Greek world. And a Jew could give them a run for their money when it came to arguing. But the Greek philosophers love to uh, do philosophical debate, and that's what Paul's doing here. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, uh, your faith is futile or empty or useless or vain. If, 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 if you know, and, this, and Christians have tried this, by the way, throughout history. Um, there have been Christians throughout history who are so intelligent, so sophisticated, so modern, that, you know, a dead man getting up and walking is difficult for them to accept because before they do any theology, they, they, they create the assumption that dead people don't get up and walk. Uh, they, they, they believe, first and foremost, miracles don't happen. And if you decide miracles don't happen, then everything else you think from that point on will be impacted by your conviction miracles don't happen. Um, we've had Christians who have been so modernist, contemporary, um, so intellectual, so sophistic, to use a Greek term, Greek world, that they would say, okay, sure, Paul in the New Testament talks about the resurrection of Jesus. That just means that God's cause continued after Jesus died. That just means that what Jesus started continued on in history. That just means you can't stop the work of God in the world. I mean, there's ways you can metaphor, metamorphosize, metaphorize. That'd be my word, metaphorize. You can make anything into a metaphor. And there have been Christians in every point of church history who have tried to just make even the, not, not just our death a metaphor for ongoing something uh, or resurrection ongoing something, but they said Jesus, you know, they just couldn't stomach a bodily resurrection. And the faith of the church is a bodily resurrection. The faith of the church is a bodily return of Jesus. You know, you can't take the resurrection of Jesus or the return of Jesus and just spiritualize it to the point that is nothing beyond God's work continued after the crucifixion or the second coming that finally God's will will prevail in the world, which that's true. But part of what the historic faith teaches, what Paul taught, the New Testament taught, is God's will will prevail in the world, but that will include, at the end, a bodily, a bodily return of Jesus. It will include, at the end, a bodily resurrection of those who are in Christ. Um, but some people are so spiritual, they, they can't do anything that miraculous. They can't do anything um, that fleshly, that material. And that's why Paul is saying, but if you get rid of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, 
and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, if, if what we say is not true, if it didn't really happen, it, I mean, Christianity is based on a historic event. Christianity is not just based on a set of ideas. Uh, Christianity is based on a historic event. If this historic event didn't happen, you notice what Paul says, you're still in your sins. In other words, your, your, your penalty for sin has not been paid. The power of sin has not been broken. And you're never going to get free from sin if this stuff that we're talking about, Jesus, never happened. So he's saying if Jesus not been raised, your faith is futile, empty, useless. You're still in your sin. Then keep, notice what he says, then those who have fallen asleep. And that, that really was a Jewish metaphor for death. Because, again, they believe in the resurrection of the body at the end of history. So for them, death is just a falling asleep. Uh, it's same for us, but you know we have to be careful because at death our spirit is with God. So we're not. Um, there, there have been a few groups within the Christian movement who have taught soul sleep. You know that you're not conscious. You're not conscious between death and resurrection of the body. Uh, the historic church, except for two little small groups, the historic church has always said, you are conscious while you're in the intermediate state of heaven where your spirit is alive in the presence of God. Um, so you're asleep in the sense that you're resting from your labors, but you're not asleep in that you're unconscious. Um, but in the Jewish world, they did still call death falling asleep because they believed even though you were unconscious, your body would be raised again like you know, coming out of sleep. So that's why even in Paul's writings, falling asleep becomes a metaphor for death. And again, the world doesn't understand that. For the, de for the world, the death is the end. It's a tragic end almost at any point at any time. And death always has a tragic experience. A, a, a tragic component to it, but in the Christian faith, it's like in the Jewish faith by the time of Jesus, um, there was something beyond death. So we just refer to it as falling asleep. But Paul is saying, look at verse 18 again, then those who have fallen asleep, that is died, in Christ have perished. Um, we believe our loved ones have not perished. Uh, they may be lost from our sight, but they're not lost otherwise. Um, Actually, they're not lost because we know where they're at. God knows where they're at. They're kept in the presence of God. Uh, but Paul's saying here, if you reject resurrection, um, then those who have died have perished because it was the resurrection of Christ that opened, you know, you, see, you, you know all your Easter hymns. It was the resurrection of Christ that opened the portals of heaven, that opened the gates of heaven for us. Um, notice what he says in verse 19. If in Christ... We have hope in this life only. And, you know, and Christ benefits our life in this world to a great extent, obviously. I mean, we find the joy and the peace and the purpose and the meaning. And, I mean, Christ gives us a lot of purpose and meaning in this world. You know, he's not just giving us something for the world to come. Uh, he's given us new life here that goes on eternally. That's why in John's writings, eternal life begins when? It's very clear in John's writings, eternal life begins when you come to faith in Christ. And yes, it continues after your heart stops beating. But so there's a lot that benefits us in our life today here in this world. But notice what Paul says. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, 
If only, you know, he makes us, you know, if the death of Christ just makes us nice people here and now, which that's, I'm all in favor of you being nice, but if the death of Christ just makes us nice people in the here and now, notice what Paul says. We are of all people most to be pitied. Now, one of the things Paul's thinking about there was in Paul, not so much at this particular precise point in Paul's life, but it's happening some at this point. Within a decade of Paul writing this, there will be Christians dying for the faith. There'll be Christians being martyred for their faith. Uh, there'll be Christians being tortured for their faith. Uh, there'll be Christians being uh, tarred and put on crosses and lit as um, human candles to illuminate evening sporting events in the amphitheater in Rome. Paul would die a martyr's death, being beheaded. Um, Peter would die being crucified upside down. All of the original apostles die a martyr's death for their faith in Christ, except perhaps John. Um, more people in the 20th century died for their faith in Christ than any other century of human history. And I think the 21st century will be the same. So Paul is saying, if you're accepting this by accepting your faith in Christ, then you're probably foolish. You know, if there's not a world to come, if the resurrection of Christ didn't happen, that means we have a world to come. That also means we too will be raised from the dead one day. Um, yeah, we're not smart people. We're accepting a whole lot of hardship to just be a nice person. And again, I'm in favor of being nice people, but if you, if you just want to be a nice person in life, uh, me and my Rotarian brothers and sisters can help you accomplish that. But in, in Christianity, it's more than just being a nice, tolerant, welcoming human being. Uh, we believe in some, a, a historical event, and that historical event changed everything about history. So with that, we're finished. Um, so. Paul's, Paul's going to make it obvious for this point on. He's going to say, Jesus was the first one to be raised, the first fruit. We're going to come along as part of that harvest. And he's going to give you verses upon verses upon verses talking about um, what he means by resurrection of the body. But he, he's, he's, what he's doing right here is if you don't accept Jesus was raised from the dead, and that means we can be raised from the dead, he's just going to stop talking to you at this point. But if you can accept resurrection of the body for Jesus and therefore for us, uh, then he's got all the rest of these verses to talk to you about. So that's a good start.